啦啦啦啦啦啦啦。Feet up, breaking all the lights on the doors, and I ain't seen no ceilings. We came in through the top floor. Three oars rip right round your jugular. You're listening to Feminist Killjoys, PhD, an hour of feminism, pop culture, and politics, as discussed by two professional killjoys. I'm Rachel. And I'm Melody. And today we'll be discussing our reactions and analysis of the Philando Castile verdict, the Grenfell Tower fire, as well as a discussion on how to be supportive to a partner or loved one with mental illness. But first, Melody, where can our listeners <laughs> find us on the internet? <laughs> <laughs> so drums. <laughs> I I actually have to give a shout out to uh, the Struggle Bus podcast, which I've talked about on the show before. But one of the hosts is an actress, and she talks about like the NPR style of like that you can say the same words a hundred times and it'll be different every time. And she talks about your fave Ira Glass, like pausing at, at yes. points in a in a sentence that you wouldn't normally pause at. Yes. So I just practice that. Where can our listeners find us on the internet? See how, see how NPR that sounded? It, yeah. I need to listen to that app because yeah. I also analyze Ira Glass's voice along those same ways. Uh, yeah. It was one of the questions that I asked him when I was on the phone with him about my tattoo. Oh, yeah. Many, many years ago. Yeah. It was, how does he basically produce the fake conversational tone in everything he yeah. does? It's, a, it's definitely an art form. Anyways, I'm not Ira Glass, but I would like to tell you that if you haven't already, you should subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast application, and you will receive extra FKJ points if you leave us a review on iTunes. Have you left us a review? You probably haven't. You could just like procrastinate on the iTunes world space, worldwide web space and like leave us a review instead of like scrolling through Instagram a third time. Just an idea. On the social meets tip, you can follow us on the gram, the Twitter, and the Facebook. And then we also have a Facebook community page called Feminist Killjoys Community dash WTF Power exclamation point. And then if you're on the FI like I am, you can find our mixtape, which is Feminist Killjoys PhD mixtape. Yes, I'm so proud of that. And also I have a story about Spotify, I'll tell you later. So the mixtape it's just like all of our outro songs that we use. And then if you have extra money and wants want to support us feminist media makers, you can, I'm going to switch it up on you, donate to our website, clicking on the birdie if you visit feministkilljoyspodcast.com. We also just FYI have episode summaries there. So if you're like looking for some of the links that we're talking about or just some general information, you can always go there. And then also we have a Patreon page where you can become a monthly micro mini donator. And we last week we were talking about uh, the Bachelorette episodes that we're starting to produce and we will be putting out our second one soon. There was not a Bachelorette last week because of the NBA finals. So there's going to be a little gap in that. But we did want to let listeners know that starting with the second episode, uh, people who are donating $5 or more will receive that episode. And so everybody who is a Patreon subscriber got the first episode, but we're going to release it to people at the $5 and higher amount starting with our second episode. If you have any questions or complaints about that, feel free to email our customer service center at fkj.phd at gmail.com. I'm done. How are you, Rachel? I am. I'm good. Boot camp just ended. It was very exhausting, but very fun. Uh, I just had a really sort of 13-hour workdays, woke up at five in the morning, taught boot camp, and then worked all day on these projects I'm working on, but felt really good. And ate well and slept early and just, you know, did a lot of good self-care practices to get through all that. So that's really what my week's been. I'm going to Cleveland tomorrow to visit Ma Familia, my mom and my uncle and some of my childhood pals. So that'll be good. Oh, and my grandmother. And that's that's the big stuff. How about you? I'm doing fine. I had some, I guess, an exciting week. I don't know. My cat, Cece, who's our foster, we took her in for a heart test. Did I tell you about the results? Or did you see the results on social media mm -mm. at all? 
Mm-mm. I think Robert posted something. So it's all good news. It's nothing bad. I'm not going to oh, like good. drop some like, <laughs> be like and then she will die tomorrow. Uh, no, she. it's actually the opposite where we were just told she had a heart murmur, but the foster organization doesn't have a lot of money so they're not going to pay hundreds of dollars to get a heart scan for her but of course we will because we're crazy cat people and Mm -hmm. have money that we could like spend on a cat so we Mm -hmm. did that and i'm really glad we did because the foster was kind of saying you know it's a heart murmur that means she's a sanctuary cat like she could die at any time Mm -hmm. or like get heart failure and yeah which is all the stuff that the doctor also told us but he said they like do this they like look at her heart and they said that her heart murmur is like really small and that like it really probably shouldn't impact her life at all it's just kind of a small defect which is really good to know so she they actually said quote I wouldn't call her a sanctuary cat anymore. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good news. Yeah. So it's something that we have to, they want us to go back like next year and just kind of do a, just to check to make sure that her heart is still kind of looking the same way. And if it looks pretty much the same way, then she'll just kind of just have it as like a small defect. But like, we don't have to treat her any differently or she doesn't have to limit exercise or anything. So... That's good. good. Yay, yay, Cece. That's great. Yay, cat. There's there was some sad cat news in in my in my circle. So oh, boo. I, it's good to hear some good news. So love love to anybody who's struggling with any any sad pet things because that that's rough. And also we're recording on Sunday, June eighteenth, which is Father's Day in the U.S. And sending love to anybody for, who's having a hard day because of that too. Yeah. Hope you're not on social media. It's the worst. My dad's the best. Look at my (laughs) dad's news. Thank you. I just call it like the social media performance. Like sometimes I'll say something nice about like a professor, but then I'll also like call them or email them and I'll be like, this is my non-social media performance to like tell you that I actually, you know, it's not just like a, a thing, like a social media thing. Right. Okay. Not to like bash the people who like posted cute pictures right. of their dads. Like, it's fine. But it's... it's fine. Yeah. And I know you, you have a great dad. You love your dad. I do, but I don't really post anything about it online because it's just because people who don't have a good relationship with their father or mother, it sucks to like see that kind of shit, you know? Yeah. So I just try yeah. to, whatever. Social media is not that important to me. I don't need to yeah. do all that jazz. Anyway. So, Anywho. So. But the kitty's okay. You played some kickball today. Yep. Things that was good. good. Things are good. And then my spot, my Spotify news is I did oh, yeah. think about how grateful I was because you would be so happy at the march for Philando Castile, which we'll get to in a second. I had my um, I have like a little portable Bluetooth speaker and I had it clipped on my backpack and I had spot. I downloaded Spotify uh, songs. I created a, a playlist called Fuck the Cops. And then during the march, I just played the songs. <laughs> That's fantastic. People are like, that. oh, like smiling because I had like They Don't Care About Us by Michael Jackson and yeah. uh, Fuck the Police by NWA and just, you know, a bunch of other songs. So it was really fun to like do that. So all thanks to That's the Fi. Great. Yep. See, it's that 2017 tech can be pretty good. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. So that's it. That's it for my yeah. check-ins. I'm I'm doing fine. Good. Well, speaking of the march that you were just talking about, we wanted to spend a little bit more time on our Who's Ruining the Dinner Party segment, which for our new listeners, as a reminder, is, uh, and for our old listeners, a reminder, the the idea that when, you know, feminists start talking about things that are terrible in the world, that we ruin dinner parties, when in actuality, the things that are really horrible in the world are ruining everybody's lives, including the dinner party, because why wouldn't we talk about the world? Because... As Feminist Killjoys, that's what we do. So we wanted to spend a little more time on two things that are ruining the dinner party this week, including the the verdict in the Philando Castile case, which is the march that and protest that you were referencing. So do you want to first maybe re- remind folks or tell folks who don't know about this case what the situation was, and then uh, talk about the reaction in the Twin Cities? I would love to, although I wish I didn't have to. So last summer in July... Uh, a man by the name of Philando Castile, he goes by Phil, got pulled over by the police with his girlfriend in the car and his f- uh, four-year-old in the back seat, which is the girlfriend's child. And he got pulled over because he had a broken taillight. The officer asked him for his I- ID and he said, OK, I'm going to reach in my pocket. And just so you know, I have a gun on me. And then the officer proceeded to shoot him multiple times. 
and killed him in front of his girlfriend and his uh, and the child in the back. And then this is the case you might you might remember because the girlfriend immediately went on to Facebook Live and basically started filming right after the shots rang out and kind of narrated what had happened. And like, it's a horrific, I wouldn't just like click on the video. It's very horrific, but it was really important for the movement and for other people to see kind of the immediate reaction of what was going on. And so that was the situation. So then last summer, a lot of people gathered at the governor's mansion because it was close to where he had gotten shot or killed or murdered. And then the trial for the police officer was just this past couple weeks. And the jury came back with a not guilty verdict on all counts, which included, I don't know the, I can't remember the exact legal term, but it was like endangering the safety of others using a firearm because there was a child and another person in the car. And so everything from manslaughter to endangering safety, the the jury found the police officer not guilty on all counts. The jury in this case was especially problematic. The Star Tribune, our local newspaper, did a pretty nice kind of summary, basically, of each juror, not using their names, but through jury selection, you get to kind of hear answers to their questions. And it was made very clear, well, right away that 10 of the people were white, two were black. One of the people was from Ethiopia, one of the black people. And then a lot of the jurors had either were gun owners or were very aware of gun rules and laws and regulations, which you would think would be a good thing because they would know that like Philando didn't do anything wrong. He did what he was supposed to by saying, I have a gun on me. I have a conceal and carry. You're supposed to actually say that when when so the police know that you're armed. But what ended up happening is uh, these white people decided that he didn't follow the rules correctly on some like kind of technicality, I guess. I'm not I'm not sure. And Along those lines, there's been some social media uh, pointed jabs at the NRA for not supporting Philando because he he was a gun owner and he had a concealed carry. He had his license with him. It's registered. It's not an illegal firearm. And yet he was still killed. So that should be an NRA thing. But just so you know, the NRA is just for white people, which is just it's just. Yeah. It doesn't even matter how you feel about guns. The fact that the NRA is not even supporting like a legit gun owner who was doing everything legal says a lot about who they choose to protect in their organization. And so the verdict is not what people were hoping for. The mother was extremely upset. And I would encourage you to watch the press conference that she had after the verdict. She was very, very, very upset. And... The community was not happy. But before I get in the community response, I should also note that Officer Yanez, who killed and murdered uh, Flano Castile, he is also a person of color. He is Latino. He's not white. And so I just wanted to add that because it's not the typical white man kills black man, although it's still the same kind of... On the on the stand, Yanez kept saying, I was fearing for my safety. I was fearing for my my life. And so it's just like this repeated pattern of if a police officer says that they're frightened for their life and they shoot to kill, that's totally fine. The problem is, is that our society has decided that black men are to be feared. And so police officers automatically fear black men, even if they're unarmed. They just think that they're going to like Jamar Clark, like just who was killed in Minneapolis. It's like he's just a dangerous, harmful man. He's going to come out and kill me like and it's not it's not funny but I the way that I have been kind of thinking about it lately it's why do police officers think that like black men are all like iron men with like loaded ammunition just ready to like kill all the police in their sight because obviously that is not a good idea and people do not do that it's not actually an issue that we have but we've been so conditioned to see black men as dangerous that that is literally their like subconscious without even thinking move is to like kill a black man because he, well, in this case, he said he had a concealed carry. He didn't say, I'm going to now pull out my gun and kill you. He just said, I have a gun on me and I'm by law like required to tell you because you're law enforcement. But he didn't even get that far because then he got killed due to straight up racism. So it's so that's just, that's the um news story. Those are like the the facts 
Is there anything I left out or any questions you have? I didn't. No, I don't. I don't think so. That was, a, you know, a good overview of a very tragic situation. I have one more point to add about the yeah. juror. Well, two points to add. If you're interested in the story, I would subscribe to the podcast called 74 Seconds, which is about the Philando Castile case. And they get into like all the details about the the jury selection and who these people are. These people, I mean, um, Philando and Yanez. But also they kind of dig in deeper into the case. So if you want more information, you should you should listen to that podcast. They're very short episodes. They're like 15 to 20 minutes. And then another thing about the jury that I wanted to mention is that 10 of them were immediately ready to say not guilty. And there was only two people hanging on that thought that Yanez was guilty. So that says a lot, too, that from the minute they started meeting out after the case was done, that the vast majority of people thought he was not guilty. The jurors have not confirmed. They don't need to ever confirm who the two holdouts were. So we don't know. Um, One juror was saying that it wasn't the two people of color, but we don't. The actual jurors have not confirmed that. But it is important to think of what it means for only two people in that juror pool to think that he was actually guilty of any of those counts. Given that outcome, it is no surprise at all and very important and good that uh, the city sort of erupted in, pr- in protest uh, in response. So do you, you were there, yeah. Um, do you want to just tell us about what that was like? Well, before I even showed up, something that was different than previous protests was a palpable worry that things were going to be unsafe And I'm not really sure where that came from. I just wanted to note that it was totally safe. It was one of the more calm protests. I mean, honestly, this is just me being a total cynic. They're just so routine now, which is just totally sad. But it's like, okay, I guess I'm in the Capitol. And same signs, different name, same speakers, different name, same people, same chance, just sub out a different name. You know, like... Right. Do you think, though, that the riots in Ferguson was in response to the not guilty verdict. And so the 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 specific the specificity of the the day that the not guilty verdict is announced, there have been cases of some more quote unquote violence, i.e. property destruction from from protesters. So that's probably, I mean, I think given the expectation of I think a lot of people that it, this was that wasn't going to be the case and something so clear cut as this, even though again we shouldn't be surprised because there's been a million cases where it should be so clear cut that first of all Obviously, nobody fucking deserves to die at the hands of the fucking cops, period. But there have been so many cases where it's been, like, so obvious that the person who was killed did literally nothing wrong. And the, and we see it on video or whatever and still nothing happens. But, you know, I think there was... Am I wrong in thinking that there was actually some optimism from from folks that it would be a different situation? And so to have that emotional contrast of, like, optimism to sort of defeat would maybe have created conditions for some even more emotive reactions. Yes, I think that's a good caveat or, you know, context for it. The only reason why I'm still a little like, uh, uh, what's the word? I'm still perplexed by it is that one, yes, there is optimism. So to actually to answer that first, yes, there is optimism because legit, he was a cafeteria like you couldn't like Jamar. The problem with Jamar Clark is that they painted him as a thug right away. And and I say that derogatory term just like because that's the word that they were using. And it was a little bit harder to fight back that image for whatever reason. Philando, and again, not justification to kill anybody. Philando was a cafeteria worker at a fucking elementary school and he loved kids and he had a fucking kid in his in the back of the car. And he didn't do anything wrong. He never got aggressive. He didn't even have time to get aggressive. He didn't even have time to like do anything. And so, yeah, people just thought this was a clear cut. And so when pe- when non-guilty verdict came in, they're like, yes, the black community community was like, oh, my God, we will never sur- we're never going to survive. Like, there's no way. W- even in this case, when we didn't do anything wrong, we still die. What the fuck are we supposed to do? Like, this is so, yes, I can I can see that, except the one thing is that we went through all this already with Jamar Clark. Yeah. And there weren't riots. Yeah. And the only violence that happened was the riot cops against the protesters right. and white supremacists coming in to shoot down right. people. And yep. with the safety issues that kept coming up for the march were not about the riot cops or white supremacists, but they were worried about angry people. It was mostly 
white families expressing safety concerns over black anger. And that's what was getting me upset. That's yeah, I hear that. It's like, yes, people are upset, but it's not unsafe for your children to be there. These families will also be bringing their children And then I was saying within some of these social media threads, I am a child caretaker. I am also going to be watching out for children. It's it's fine. Like I've been to so many of these marches and I just I forget that not a lot of these times people are new to protests and new to demonstrations. And people like you and me who have been going to them forever, they're very important to the community. But you just know that. Very rarely do they erupt into violence. And we were in St. Paul. We were meeting at the Capitol. It wasn't even in the neighborhood where he got shot. I don't know. It just the safety thing just seemed kind of out of left field. And I felt very protective of the making sure that black anger wasn't being read as being unsafe, which I don't think is very helpful. I hear that. But for me, it was more like if shit goes down tonight, I 100% understand why it would. If if anger, if black anger in particular needs to express itself in property destruction, I'm fucking here for that because I would be that enraged as well. So that was more my like, shit might go down, stay safe, but I 100% understand why it would go down. Does that make sense? Totally. And... I know when shit's going to go down, it's not going to go down right away. It's going to go down when they take over the freeway, which is exactly when it happened. Like, that is when things got violent. The confrontation stuff happened on the freeway. And that's why I'm like, it's so predictable. Like, my brother was like, you guys are going to go on the freeway. I was like, well, I don't know. I stopped to get a snack. And then five minutes later, he's like, you guys are on the freeway. I'm like, oh, we." I was like, oh, well, I I lost the group. But it's just, it's, um, (laughs) I guess the safety issues are predictable at this point. It's like, just don't go on the freeway then if you don't. And yeah. Nobody ended up on the freeway until after 10 p.m. So I think the organizers, I feel, too, that it's this is like getting very internal to the organization thing. But I also felt like it was kind of an affront to the organizers. It's like the organize that's part of their job is to, like, keep everybody safe. And so but also, yes, if provocateurs show up, if anarchists, I love you, anarchists, there's a lot of people who don't want to follow these rules, which is understandable. They want to fuck shit up. Yes, then that's that's an issue. But I mean, yeah, I mean, again, normally that stuff doesn't it's not going to put the kids in the march in danger. It's they're going to like set a dumpster on fire. And then if anything gets, you know, if guns or things like that are involved, it's going to be the fucking cops. And so, you know, yeah, like stay safe for me is always like be safe because the police might try to shoot you or tear gas you or the fucking noise shit they did in Ferguson, not like stay safe from those scary black and or anarchist protesters. Right. You know? And I and I know that that's what you mean. That's just but wasn't that's not, what <laughs> that wasn't totally. what people were saying. Oh, totally, I'm just worried that people are like really upset. And then yeah. what? They're going to like punch your kid. Because, like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> right, right. So, anyways, right. all that to say, yeah. Uh, yeah. The safety thing, th- that's my point there. But the march itself was very good. It was just very nice to be in community with people, even though I was just, like, being such a killer. I'm like, this is so, uh, like, another march, another chant. It's just getting, it's not, it, I don't like that I've become, like, almost numb to it. Like, people are like, wasn't that a powerful march? I was like, I don't, like, yeah, but... I do this all the time. Like, this is not, it's just not anymore, unfortunately. It was really powerful the first time. And now it's just like, I can't believe I'm doing this again. I will go and do it again, but this is just ridiculous. And it's not apathy. It's just, I don't know what it is. But I always try to refocus, especially I tell people who like can't make it to the march and they feel bad. It's like, you know, it's just, it's one thing. Like, think about what you can do in your everyday, you know? So I get to, I'll talk to my students about this when I get back to school. Like, what can you do? And then people are like, yeah, you're right. Like, be, a march isn't as important as, like, doing, you know, work on the ground. And I think that's sort of, like, the routineness of the protesting, you know, or, or the sort of memes that are, like, all you know, try to always remember that this is not normal. Like, it's not normal. It shouldn't be normal. It shouldn't be routine that you're in the streets every other week for another black death. But I think that... It's really fucking important that we keep remembering the complex humanity of each of these distinct individual victims. Somebody, and I, I'm afraid I forget or this person's name, somebody created a, a list of all the black men who have been killed by cops who are who were fathers and just wrote Happy Father's Day to and then the hashtag of those names, including Philando. So just remembering like that each of these marches are about a specific life that has, you know, ha- that has family members and friends who 
who are missing this specific person that, you know, we need we, you know, we constantly do think about how to fight against these structures that enable these deaths. But these marches specifically can be an opportunity to try to honor and remember the specific life that was taken. I think I for me, that feels important to try to refocus when I'm starting to feel like like they're becoming routine. And I don't even I don't I don't even get out there as much as you do, partly because honestly, that I mean, for a lot of reasons, as I've talked about before, but also because, like, I kept waiting to see if there would be, like, a solidarity march in Boston, and there just isn't. So there's just honestly not as not as many opportunities, or at least not that I get, get myself to. But anyway, just making a note about that. Yes, you're right. Obviously, these are all indiv- it's it's all individual people. And I think just for me, the marches get routine, but the work done outside of the marches is not routine. And I think these deaths, unfortunately, remind me to keep doing the work. You know, like biking through my neighborhood on the way to the march, it was just like full of anger. And you, these people could be dead right now. This is like horrendous because I live in a neighborhood that is heavily policed and it's the neighborhood, the police precinct that I live near is where is the ones who killed Jamar Clark, murdered Jamar Clark, and then also was where the occupation of the fourth precinct was, where there was riot cops and white supremacists shooting at people. And so I'm like in this this space. And so it just it actually does really help me like kind of stay motivated for this other kind of work as well. Yeah. So it is. Yeah. But it's just also really sad and fuck the police and all that. Yeah. And the yeah. and the fucking jury system. It's not even the police anymore. It's also it is them, but it is also the fucking I know judicial system, which everybody knows. But in this case, it was just like, God, this shit is rigged. They never let black people on those juries like ever. Yeah, maybe. And I mean, it was one African-American and and one person from Ethiopia. And they were trying to get the the defense was trying to get the the Ethiopian woman off because they were arguing that she doesn't understand our system. And so she does. She can't qualify. So they're even trying to argue her off the jury. Ethiopia is an Ethiopia is in Africa, by the way, just to she's African-American, too. So people here in the Twin Cities, they call themselves African. They do not call themselves African-American. Oh, okay. Thank you. They're like, there's this very distinct, and it comes up a lot here because we have people from Somalia and Ethiopia too. Something that my students got really motivated to talk about in class this semester in intercultural communication was my students from Somalia and Togo, Africa, how they have such a hard time bonding with African-Americans and how they are African and everybody that is a distinct identity for them. And African-Americans means basically like you were part of the slave trade ancestry. Oh, got it. And are these so was this woman on the jury an immigrant? So not born in America? Oh, correct. So that's why correct. they okay. she hadn't been so in America the, for very long. OK, so yeah. So doesn't I get it. Actually curious, like how far that goes. I think I'm in a unique space where like that gets I, just, I mean, that might be true of a lot of immigrant populations. I know I had students yeah. at Mer- Merrimack who were immigrants from Africa who didn't identify with, like, the the black American students. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so I hear that. So, yes, the jury, I mean, obviously, yeah, the jury system is also rigged. And, you know, it's this is also just a side note, but, you know, it's always interesting as somebody who is 99% identified as a prison abolitionist. You know, I, I don't, I don't equate guilty verdicts with justice. I don't I don't think that that is justice. You know, I think that the person is still dead and, you know, only justice would be to not ever have anybody be, be killed in that way again. But I'm still under our current system. You know, I still think that it's egregious that if we put some people in jail, you know, prison and not others and that cops are always the one who don't end up there, it's, it's obviously just fucking disgusting. So anything else you want to say about the case or the march or how it's feeling in the Twin Cities. The energy here is, uh, it depends where you are. <laughs> like some people, it's like, you know, it's just like a normal day. I was, I've been out late almost every night just for various reasons. And I had to like snake my way through downtown Minneapolis. And I was like mean mugging all the people out at clubs. It's like, how can you, why are you here? Like, why are you having a good time? Like somebody literally said to me like, yo, high five. And I looked and it was a car full of white people. Sorry. And I was yeah. like, uh, no, thank you. Like, I was just not having any. F- it's like you cannot. It's not like you cannot have fun, but it's just clearly like if you were in a different space, if you were with different people right now, there would be no high fiving. Any smiles or comforting or any positive energy was all for healing. Anyway, so I was just having like some issues with the club scene downtown for yeah. usually I do. But, you know, this time I was just like, what? You can't have like ugh! everybody is not like me and the other people affected by it. So anyways, I guess it depends where you are and who you are in the city. I think there's this like 
need and want for people to like keep coming together. And I hope that people find a way to do that. And I think that is a very gray silver lining of this shit is that it is like really bringing people together and people are doing good activist work. And so I hope that continues. And people got arrested on the freeway. So I hope they have a lot of legal support and bail funds and stuff. So I, it's, um, you know, I don't know. I guess they're going to try to do, they might uh, file a civil suit against the officer as well. And the officer is now no longer working at that police department, although he was paid the whole time and will be set up very nicely at another department, probably very far away from Minnesota. So, right. Of course. That's just how it works. Anyways, what other bad news do you have, Rachel? So, um... (laughs) So many things. Across the pond, as they say, in England, there was a giant fire at the Grenfell Tower apartments. And there's been plenty of coverage in at least the press that I follow that understands immediately how this is an incredibly political issue. But I think that whether it's like a natural disaster in terms of weather or whether it's things like a fire, which is doesn't seem right away necessarily like an inherently political problem that's about power, but it is. It 100% is. And so I think, first of all, the death count is continuing to grow. There's a lot of people who are considered missing. I think there's 508 people considered missing, but very likely those people will be found to be dead probably shortly. The issue, the reason that this is, is a polit- first of all, it's tragic. So right away, before trying to make it political, and I know a lot of people don't like that, <laughs> that some of us try to make things political right away, but these things will keep happening unless we address the sort of root political problem of them. Um, and uh, can I just jump in on that point please. real quick? Yeah. It's not us. The people that were living around those apartment buildings made it political right away. Totally. Did you see yeah. that one interview with that you that young kid with dread, like short dreads? No. Uh-uh. They were worried it was going to get pulled down from the internet so I can check to see if it's still up. I tried to share it on Facebook, but he, while well, he he had a gas mask on and he made it, I mean, the residents know, I think this is something I'll riff on when you're done, but I just want to let people know that like, it's not just us, like the actual people living around there made it political from the get go. So totally. there's, yeah, there's not, something going on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We're not trying to project like our West or like white feminist US. Right about maybe like 2 a.m. I seen that one line of fire. It looked like it was contained at the time. And then like by the time I got here, it was probably two of those lines of flats were on fire like that. Like, mainly the top bit. And then set maybe an hour and then like most of the building was on fire. But I'm not gonna lie, one thing I wanted to say though, this thing that they're all saying about oh it might have been a fridge that exploded or something like that. I don't know about all of that. But what I do know is they did regeneration last year to that building that they're talking about doing to all of these buildings. They did it to that building only 10 million pounds they're talking about and put these shoddy plastic things on there that set, set up a light because they want more reasons to knock these blocks down. There's two options. They could either regenerate the blocks or they could knock them down. And after that, I'm, I'm not so sure that was totally an accident. I'm not even going to lie. I'm, I'm not even going to lie to you. You can, you can pause me there, but I'm not going to lie. The whole situation that's going on in this area, the way that they, they don't want us, the way that they don't want us here, and they put those, those rich man's blocks over there, and then they tell certain man in French that they can't even go into that, that section. That's outrageous. I can't lie. The way that they, they treat man in here is terrible, isn't it? So I, 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 can't even, I can't even take the belief out of my mind that that, was, that, that wasn't just an accident. Do you know what I'm saying? I, I, I'm not gonna lie. I think, I think it's fucked, and I think. But we don't know. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know. But you're talking about the re- regeneration that happened last year mm-hmm. to, to apparently make these blocks better, and then these fires have never happened. I've lived here my entire life. My mom's lived here a very long time, and these these kind of things have never ever happened in this area. Like, I don't know what they spent ten million pounds on. But the lifts in this block and all the blocks around, they only cost 60 grand to fix and they still never replaced them throughout the time I've lived here. So 10 million for that? No, they didn't. No, 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 no. I'm not really, I'm not really fucking with the government. Right? That's all I'm saying. I think the the first thing to start with is that uh, this apartment complex, like 
so many apartment complexes in the U.S. and all over, you know, is is profit motivated. And, and there has been discussion about how uh, there was attempts to make the outside of this building look a lot nicer to aid in the gentrification of the neighborhood, but that upping regulations about the safety of the building on the inside uh, were not were not being focused on, partly because to make things safe is often a lot of money, and people who want to make a lot of profit don't want to spend a lot of money. And that's the basically the crux of regulations in general, right? Like the reason that our current president wants to decrease regulation is because it costs money to implement regulations. So the majority of the time, regulations are put in place to keep people safe and to keep the environment safe. So those those were not, you know, there were not clearly not enough regulations that were adhered to. And um, this is probably sounding very familiar to folks who followed and or lost people in the ghost ship fire, uh, which was a, a, a club in California, San Francisco, that had a had a similar issue. There was a big fire and safety regulations hadn't been followed. And, um, you know, it's it's a result of these gentrifying neighborhoods of the ways that neoliberalism, which, you know, refers to sort of privatization and profit motives, are starting to take over urban planning, right, which is certainly, Melody, your area of expertise um, in terms of how all those things interact. So that's that's a big one. You know, the, the gist of it is that, once again, people, who, who, people in positions of power choose profit over human lives, um, over the environment. And I think another big thing is that, you know, the vast majority of people who lost their homes in this fire are now homeless because uh, this was also still at the, at the time catering to not a super rich population, right? And so I think it's always really important to note that so often when these disasters happen, whether it's weather related or fires, that poor people are first of all usually the ones who are involved because rich folks are often living in areas that aren't susceptible to these things. But that also, when poor people lose their homes in whatever, for whatever reason, they have no safety net. I mean, that's the whole that's the whole thing about being a poor person is that you have nothing to fall back on. And so if a rich person lost their home because of a fire, they could, you know, they, ha- they have resources to not be homeless. But um, this is this is leaving a, lo- a lot of people homeless. Oh, and this is I'm going to read this quote from a person who wrote into The Guardian. So it says improvements in the UK housing market and building regulations should be a memorial to the many who suffered and died there. So they're calling for, you know, using this to to create uh, better regulations. A further scandal has been the rows of homes built as investments standing empty in London while Kensington and Chelsea uh, councillors seek to house victims outside of their borough. So there's literally empty, empty homes that these people could go to. But God forbid they use these like pretty new cookie cutter, whatever fucking condos or whatever to home people who don't have homes. God forbid. Yeah. So that's also just really fucking infuriating if we think about all the the space that we have available. It's the same thing with food. It's like people are fucking starving and we have food fucking everywhere. Like it's just really enraging. And it's at the end of the day, all about capitalism, capitalism, in my opinion. So that's, that's a rant about that and sending lots of love to people who are suffering this tragedy. There's some GoFundMe pages online uh, if you're interested in trying to donate to help folks who are... Although, I um, to kill Joy that just for a second, I was listening to this interview from a woman that was coming in to help, and she had a lot of friends that lived in that apartment building, or they call them towers, and she can't find any of them. And she was saying, like, most of the people are dead. They're missing right now. But there's all these bags of food. I mean, she's really upset, but she kept saying, send these bags back. We don't need any of this stuff. Everybody's dead. There's barely any victims here. I mean, yes, I mean, the victims are very important and they're getting, you know, Mm. they have resources and stuff. The government is basically acting like there is going to be 500 more victims. And she's like, they're all dead. Like, can you just say that they're dead? Because I'm doing all this work for not 500 people. Where are the people? Where are the people? That's a good point. She kept saying, where are they? I I have not seen any. I mean, she was really distraught. And so like, clearly there, there are places where the victims are, but not a thousand, you know, not the whole building's worth. 
Otherwise, you could go yeah. to them like you could in Katrina, right? Ta- you know, thousands and thousands of victims. Yeah. You go to Houston to interview them. You go to, um, where, where's the other place that they went? Baton Rouge. You know, there's all these places that they went. Yep. You could go interview them. So she was just like, they're not here. Please donate yeah. money. But somebody good, on the ground who's friends with the people in those buildings is like saying like, we don't need the bags. Like we don't need these bags of resources. So right. just wanted to amplify her yeah. voice as well. Yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah, thanks for that. That's, yeah, another big problem with, you know, humanitarian aid in general is, like, not knowing what is actually needed. But, yeah, there are some GoFundMe pages linked to the, fam- like, specific families who are alive and things like that. So, anyway, to, uh, you know, one- once again, more more news that was really tragic this week, and so we just wanted to provide a little more context and, and discussion about those things. A little segment that was a listener request that I think is uh, a really great topic that uh, we've talked so so much, or at least some, about being personally living with uh, with mental illness. Uh, we haven't talked as much about how to support uh, a partner or a loved one or, or a friend who who is living with mental illness, or you know what what we've learned, whether with our partners or, you know, how we've seen our partners engage with us as we've suffered through anxiety and depression, which we've talked about a lot on here. So that's that's what we want to end the show with today. So shifting gears a little bit, not necessarily lighter, but well, but I think but there I think there'll be some hope and, and optimism in in how we're talking about navigating this um, and not. I, so it is more optimistic because because I, I don't think mental illness is needs to be tragic. You know, so so many of us live with it. So it doesn't need to be a devastating thing. And so we're going to talk about how to be a, a good partner or friend to a loved one who who may also live with that. Do you want to get us started or? I just wanted to actually say what you should not do because I have, there's been lots of people that I've tried to support in the past and I've learned that I wasn't doing it very right. Because I think sometimes when people are uh, not doing well, some people are conditioned to be what is known as codependent, which if you don't know what that means, you should Wikipedia it because I think people get the wrong idea of what it means. It doesn't really mean to be dependent on other people. It just means you have this tendency to like want to like manage their lives for them and like tell them what's best for them. And so I know that this comes up actually pretty often in, you know, some comics that I've seen about how to help depressed people and basically... The thing you don't want to do is like tell them what they could do to to make things better. You know, like, well, have you tried to go to a therapist or like, did you take that medicine or how about you have this tea and like just like keep giving them all these ideas and solutions. It's like, well, if you would just stop drinking alcohol at night, you'd feel a lot better in the morning. Or have you seen that comic? They basically equate mental illness to to being sick or having cancer and how you would never say like, yeah, if somebody was yeah. sick, like, well, did you wash your hands every 10 minutes? You didn't. Well, that's probably why you're sick. Like, you don't say that to people who are sick. You just say, I'm, what do you right. say when people are sick? I'm really sorry. Can I bring you over anything? That's, that's all literally right. all you need to do for people who are not feeling well, either anxiety, depression, bipolar episode. They right. have the strength enough to actually like tell you that things aren't going very well. You just listen. It seems so simple, but it took me a long time to learn this, that you just listen you ask them if they need anything and you just right. kind of like just hang by kind of near just kind of check in with them and then i think you as a supporter want to help as much as possible right and it's kind of hard to help people some sometimes they just need space and time but they also like to know that people are around if they need them a lot of it is is um working things through with yourself this is not what I would say if somebody's suicidal. That's a totally different thing. This is just like, I'm. if people are saying that they want to hurt themselves, then do not leave. Then I would have something else to say about this. But this is like non-suicidal anxiety and depression symptoms. Totally. I mean, I, yeah, I think just for this whole conversation, we're not talking about 
you know, sort of emergency situations or uh, situation. There's a there's a word I'm looking for that's not coming to me. But yes, this is not where you're worried about a person that, that they're going to do some kind of action in a, in a moment. This is sort of general daily coping, things like that. Yeah, I think, Mel, what you said is really huge. And I think it reflects a lot of what I was going to say, particularly. And I think, you know, that knowing that it's not, especially in, in sort of romantic partnerships or, or, you know, child parent or really whatever it is, that if somebody's being really unable to be to emote the way you want them to emote or, you know, get excited about something you want to get excited about, like that it's not your fault, but it's also not their fault. And so to just not place blame on either yourself or the other person and to communicate that it's okay to say out loud to them, to reassure them that it's okay that they're not doing those things. I do think an important caveat here, just because it, well, it's important for you as a friend or a partner or child to be understanding of their, you know, this person's perhaps inability to perform the way you want them to, that it's also really important that you know, as the person on the other end, that it's not okay for the person to ever sort of be like emotionally abusive in any way or any other kind of abuse, that mental illness is not something that justifies abuse. And that if the if that's if it's getting into that territory, that it's even more important to try to encourage that person to see a therapist if that's accessible, which, you know, we obviously Melody and I recommend for everybody all the time if it's accessible. And so it's it's very difficult to, you know, I think this is really common with PTSD to say, you know, well, this outburst is because of PTSD. But if it gets into a territory where it feels you know, scary or unsafe for your partner that it's that you, that the person who's, you know, dealing with that needs to get the help so that they're not harming other people because of that. So I think that's an important caveat as well. So that's, that's something. Otherwise, you know, I think, I mean, we have, we have a lot, a lot more that we can say, but I think that Mel's point about codependency is, is also really important. I have a few things I wanted to add. So along the lines of Rachel's point about mental health care, seeing a therapist, thankfully mental health uh, is being taken seriously by a lot of health organizations now. And so what's something you could you could do as an ally or supportive person is actually do some Googling for some free healthcare or some free therapy. So um, when we lost our friend Jesus, I was in between therapists and there was a free mental health clinic that I could go see. And so I just talked to a therapist. It was free. She got me through, you know, a couple weeks as I was setting up a new therapist. So I'm not saying that that's possible in every city, but it's probably more common than you think it is. And so a Google search might be helpful and you could always drive them or take the bus with them to an appointment. Um, If you have experiences going to therapy, I don't ever. So uh, along the lines of codependency, if people are kind of in a space, I don't say you should go to therapy, but I'll say I'll just start talking about my therapist, you know, or talking mm-hmm. about my experiences, um, storytelling as a, as a way to mm-hmm. convey something. So you're still kind of talking about it, but not in this like you should do that because all that does is just make people like crinkle up and hide more because they already know when you're in that headspace, you already know that you're a fuck up and that you've like done stupid. You know, that's what's going on in your head, the tapes. Right. And so for somebody to come up to you and be like, well, you should do this, this and this. And you're like, I can't like I literally can't get out of bed or I have 18 thoughts swimming through my head, I cannot even focus on what you're trying to tell me to do. It just doesn't help. And so it's very hard as a supporter to kind of keep that stuff in check. So I wanted to say that also um, along the lines of the behavior that is that sometimes accompanies mental health crises or mental health episodes. There's a a line that I learned in Al-Anon, which is for families of alcoholics. And the line is, you don't have to accept unacceptable behavior. So even though alcoholism is a disease, just like mental health is a disease, something that's out of your control, that doesn't mean that you have to accept all this behavior, right? You need to keep yourself safe. And so Mm -hmm. you can be supportive and empathetic. That doesn't mean that then you have to accept their behavior. And so that's another good space and for which you to go talk to the therapist about how to manage those things. And the last thing I wanted to mention is I very briefly talked about the difference between general depression and when people are suicidal. Just so you know, I I learned this in one of my trainings that I did. If people, if you think that somebody is suicidal, it's actually not harmful. This is according to NAMI, which is a national mental health organization. In the training, they said it is not harmful to ask people if they're going to harm themselves and that that actually, it doesn't bring up ideas. It doesn't give them anything new to think about. It's actually a really good way to assess where they're at. And my therapist has asked me that before. And so you just say like, 
do you think you're going to harm yourself? Yes, no. If they say yes, then you ask them if they have a plan. And if they're saying yes to all that, that's when you have to call. You need to call somebody. You need to call a suicide hotline and go from there. But if that, if um, they're not answering, and they will not, they won't lie. So according to NAMI and mental health trainers, people do not they do not lie. They actually want somebody to talk to you about it. And so most times they will be open with you about how they're feeling. We kind of skipped over that. And I, I didn't want re- uh, listeners yeah. to be like, oh, well, shit. But like, what if somebody is suicidal? Right. So the answer is Thank you, you actually, yeah. you do need to ask if if they're going to harm, if they feel like they're going to harm themselves and then if they have a plan and then and go from there. So th- th- those are the two like emergency 911 things. And you can call 911 or suicide prevention hotlines. It's always good to have those kind of accessible anyways. So I just wanted to share that as well. And those were my three points. Thank you for listening. Yeah, no, I I appreciate that. Yeah, I didn't didn't mean to skip over. I just wanted to make clear that we were, yeah, talking about sort of different things with these other ones. But I really, that's really, really important. So thank you. The last thing I wanted to say is that, again, mental mental health stuff is so common uh, with so many people. So it's, you know, quite likely that both you and your partner will have some kind of mental health thing. So if it ends up that you get in a place where you're both sort of suffering, you know, having some kind of episode with with whatever you're working through, there's a great article on Everyday Feminism that talks about, you know, how to navigate that. And one thing, we'll, we'll post it in the newsletter and, um, and on the website, but uh, something that I really appreciated about it that I actually think is really good advice for any relationship, even if it's not about mental health stuff, is just Anytime that things are hard in life, whether it's because of mental health or because of a really stressful, both of you are really stressed at work or both of you are really, you know, you're you're in the middle of a giant move or whatever it is, is to try to have conversations about things other than the problems because it's, I think, really easy to, you know, you, you rely on your partner and you know that you're safe talking to your partner about what you're struggling with and your partner knows that they're safe talking about what they're struggling with. And then, you know, before you know it, a month or six months go by and the only sort of things that you talk about and are, you know, kind of bonding over are these really tough things. And so I I like that the article said, you know, really work, even when it's really fucking hard, like have a conversation, like watch a fucking TV show together and then have a conversation about the TV show if that's all that it can be at at a certain point. They they had some other stuff too, but I thought that one was like universal for relationships in general. That's that. We could say a lot more because of time. We'll pause there Thank you to friend of the podcast, Nina, who requested that topic. I think, that's, I think it's a really good topic, so thank you for that. We can definitely return to that if people want to. Yep. But for now, Melody, what are you reading, watching, and listening to this week? Funny you should ask. I'm reading the Minnesota Spokesman Recorder, which is our black newspaper. I was reading this article, which I will put somewhere online, that showed that you all know that I'm really into like being mad about sports media coverage. And there mm-hmm. was a study done that showed that most... Minnesota like daily newspapers do about the traditional like five to ten percent coverage is women and the rest is men and lo and behold the black newspaper spokesman recorder does equal coverage of both and so I've been kind of nerding out mm, with the yeah yeah spokesman recorder about I actually had emailed one of the sports writers and said like hey I just noticed that you do a lot of you know, women's sports coverage, and I appreciate it, and I use it in my class. And they had actually, like, I didn't know this, but if you just email a journalist, I guess it gets considered for, like, letters to the editor. So they, like, put it in their section, which wasn't really my intention. It was more just like a, hey, like, thanks for your work. I'm noticing it. Um, yeah. So that got published. And then, like, the next week, the, the like, front page was, like, Minnesota Spokesman Recorder has best you know, has equal coverage of men and women's sports. So I've been nice reading up on that again. It's a... I don't know. I just an interest. I guess it's just like one of the most like sexist parts of the news media. There's lots of them, but this one's pretty egregious. So, anyways, I was just very happy for that, and I just love. Yeah, black newspapers are just like the bomb.com. Like they're just like they just do the news that nobody else does. They speak truth to power. They don't give a fuck. It's just awesome. And also, yeah. like, our very skilled journalists and all that crap. And it just, reading a black newspaper makes you realize how much daily and weekly major newspapers cater to the white, middle-class suburban reader. Yeah, yeah. In terms of the news that is possible to be covered and then what actually gets put out there, which is right. the reason why these newspapers existed from the beginning. That's all of a little aside. I always have to do a little mini lecture on my media excuse me so that's what i'm reading i am watching i got on a my therapist would be so proud i got on a master of none binge i'm i don't want to spoil anything but i'm like way into 
season two. I, pr- I think I'm almost done nice. with it, actually. Nice. I love it. Are you liking it? Yeah. I do. I do love it. I was like, you know, the place that he goes, I was like, I don't really like relate to this place. But, yeah. you know. You, I don't think that that's not a spoiler. I felt the same way. I was like, Italy? Really? Like- yeah. Well, because they fuck with you at the beginning of that episode. And you yeah. like, you think he's going to Japan. And then yeah. they have. Oh, anyways, it's just like, sh- ugh. Whenever people do that, I'm like, fuck you. You you don't have to yeah, joke with yeah. me like that. Anyways, yeah, so he goes to right. Italy. And then what did I get up to? I got up to, oh, he lost his phone. And then he couldn't find got it. that yeah. person. Oh, and then he leaves. He leaves because his big friend comes to visit him. That's not a derogatory term. They little, literally call each other big buddy and little buddy. Wait, um, so you're not almost all the way through. That's, all, that's the only part you're at? Does he go back to New York? Yeah, that's only like episode two of season two. I felt like I binge watched a lot. That's a lot for me. <laughs> okay, okay. Whoops. That's, that's fine. But anyways, you have a lot, you moving have a lot on. That's gonna happen. <laughs> moving on. Um, moving I felt on. like I watched a lot. Damn it. Okay. So, anyways, watched a little bit of it. Just really proud that I like watched a lot. Of that TV wasn't. Albums. That didn't. I didn't mean that to make that a judgment. I just wanted to like talk more but it's probably better so i won't spoil anything anyway for because you did finish it i, I, yeah, I want to like night, pull actually. up i want to like pull up my netflix account and like actually tell you what f- flip an episode i'm in <laughs> anywho i am listening to the secret sisters do you know who they are uh i don't think i do they had a song on the current which is our i still have not given up my local radio rachel but uh <laughs> they're like Appreciate um that. twangy country like two gr- two women they kind of remind me of first aid kit Okay, yeah. And they just have this, like, I just love country songs, like, the way that they're written, the way that phrasing happens, and they just have this catchy song on The Current, so I got some of their stuff on the fi. I would highly suggest listening to them. I can't wait to hear about your RWL, so just go. All right, I read the Chelsea Manning profile in the New York Times Magazine this morning. It is good. It is is mostly very good. I had, um... I really, I think profile writers are like very talented. If if it's a good profile, I think it's like a really good skill. And I was, it was good storytelling. And I f- feel like the author was very respectful and um, the writer rather. It, you know, and I learned more about Chelsea than I that I hadn't known before. And it's definitely worth reading. And she looks really lovely in the in the photographs. So it's it's a good read. It's good. I finished Master of None and yeah, really enjoyed it. I think it's you know it was interesting because. Aziz is like, you know, like a dude feminist and he has really amazing race commentary via his show because he is a person of color and the other producer on the show uh, is also a person of color and there's it's a very diverse cast. There's a black lesbian on the show. So, you know, it's political in terms of like representation stuff and they they go there with race issues like a lot and they go there with sort of talking about sexism. But at the end of the day, it's not like super political in ways that I'm sometimes like, you could be doing more. But then I'm like, do not, Rachel, like try to put the onus on all minority media makers that everything they do has to be like uber political. But admittedly, there were moments throughout that I'm like, okay, this is really just like a romantic dramedy TV show. And it's like, well, that's okay, because that's it's all it's like beautiful storytelling. So I think it's I think it's really good listening to I actually don't know how to pronounce this person this music musician's name it's sza and i used to say sizza like scissor but sizza but i don't know if it's supposed to be sza do you know who that is they have been mentioned like on all my like hip-hop social media there she's apparently like the bomb.com yeah i think she right one person she, I, yeah as, as far as okay. i know yeah yeah uh they're just splashed all over. So I have not listened, but I've made a mental note it's, to like check her out because there's a lot of hype around her. Yeah, it's good. I mean, I actually heard her EP very a lo- very long time ago because Chance raps on one of the songs. And this new album, Kendrick's on it and some other folks. And it's good. It's really good. And I have to give a shout out to my friend, uh, Louie, my fe- uh, fellow. I have two friends named Louie who I think listen, but this is um, my American friend, Louie, not my British friend. So thank you, Louie, American Louie, for giving me that recommendation. That's it. That's all I got. Can I just say one thing about Chance the Rapper? Yeah. So he just played in Eau Claire at the Eau Claire yeah. Music Festival. And so I was like looking at the tweets because I was jealous that I couldn't go. And somebody had tweeted out like, man, the difference between du- like douchebags or like um, assholes or something, you know, between day one and day two was like palpable. And I said, what day was what day was worse? 
and she said day one, which is when Chance played. I was like, it's the Chance yeah. fans, isn't it? And she's like, yes. And I'm like, Aww. dude, Boston sucked too because of that. What is up with Chance fans being assholes? Isn't that I just weird? Think I think it's youth. Like, I think he's probably really appeals to a young a young audience. And I think young people just, like, don't know how to behave themselves entirely because their brains aren't fully developed. No offense, young folks who listen to I guess, but like Eau Claire, the music festival wasn't necessarily like old fuds, old fuddy-duddies all the time. I don't know anything about Boston Callings. No, I know. But but Eau Claire's is always chill as fuck, except this, I've never heard it not be chill, except the the day that Chant showed up. So obviously it's his fans, but like, well, it's also had to do who's like, who can afford to like come to a $200 festival? Right. Well, exactly. I don't know. I feel like... Uh, probably attracts like a drunk, yeah, you yeah. know, undergrad population that want to go to festivals and get drunk, and that's and then that. But that he happens. doesn't even like promote that in his. It'd be one thing if it was like oh, a Lil no. Wayne concert or like Drake, but right chance. I know, I know, I don't know, I know, I know. He's so wholesome, but for the most part, although he does have a song called "All Night," I've been, I mean, saying. I've been drinking all night. Yeah, so but be real. <laughs> the, but the intro was all about how he can barely drink anything. Come on, big fella, you drunk, big fella. Two sips and now you want to trip, big fella. You not a drinker. I can see it all in your leg, big fella. You wobbly, big fella. You finna fall. Sit down, you drunk, big fella. All night, I'm just drinking all night. Mm-hmm. No, I hear you. I mean, in in truth, I mean he's he's a he's a very wholesome dude, and I don't think he would um, be excited about. I know. It's like waste, wasted youth. Chance, um, like I know you're listening to this podcast. Do you realize <laughs> like how much your fans suck right now? Like at these music festivals. No offense, but like you got to get your fans in check because they are like. I think it's also just musical fe- music festivals. Like, not Eau Claire. I'm, like, I'm never gonna go to mm-hmm. one again ever. Not Eau Claire. I would take you like seriously. Eau Claire is totally different and. That's I what, believe it, but I think that that's the exception, not not the norm. That's why I'm saying, that's why I'm even like wasting time on this podcast to like bring up that somebody mentioned something about day one being full of like assholes. Yeah. And the only yeah. cha- the only factor was Chance, everything else, you know, and she was like, yeah, it was the Chance fans. And it's like, otherwise it's like Paul Simon and Jenny Lewis, like, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. And it's just weird. I don't know. I just, I don't assume that, it, and it's not about hip hop. Like we always have to, you know, make this caveat. It's not about the hip hop. It's about, I just don't know where these fans are coming from. I'll like interview yeah. them next time I run into a Chance show. Be like, so okay. why are you an asshole? Like, why are you all jerks? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Okay, let us know. All right, WTF. Power. Bye. Goodbye. Call Uber, you a goofy. If you think I don't know, you need a lift. Is you, is, or is you ain't got gas money. No IOUs or debit cards. I need cash money. So back up, back up. I need space now. I need you to slow down. It's not a race now. I can't really hear what you got to say now. Shut up. Start dancing, hope. Shut up.